again, everyone. This is Robert Lloyd. We've got something special for you these next couple installments of the Future Cities podcast. As you may know, this podcast is a product of the Urban Resilience to Extreme Sustainability Research Network, better known as Urex SRN, a multidisciplinary project made up of researchers from a lot of different institutions all over the U.S., as well as in Mexico and Chile. If you're new to the podcast, or even if you're not, you may have a lot of questions about the kind of work the Urex SRN does. I know I did when I came aboard as a research fellow a couple of years ago. So some of us thought it would be interesting if I took you inside for a deeper look at the little corner of the project I've done the most work in, scenarios. Now, my personal interest in ecology and anthropology was driven by concern about the future and wondering what forms human societies might take moving forward. Given that we're an increasingly urban species, cities are a really useful focal point for looking at those kinds of questions. And I knew going into Urex that we'd be talking about and working with those kinds of ideas, but there is so much more to it than I realized back then. And we'd like to share some of that with you now. So joining me today are some of the top researchers from the Scenarios Working Group now, thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic and the broadly dispersed geography of the group, we're all meeting on Zoom, of course, as the whole world has been for the past year, as we record this in early 2021. So we're going to go around the screen and have everyone introduce themselves and tell a little of their background, who they are, where they're coming from, where they're Zooming in from, uh, and what interests them on the topic of urban futures and scenarios. So we'll start with the person who's in my upper left on screen, Dr. Lelani Manetti. Hi everyone, I'm Lelani Manetti. I am a postdoc at the Urban Studies Institute. In terms of my background, I have my doctorate in conservation ecology and my uh, dissertation research focused on expanding the protected area network uh, in Namibia, which is where I'm from. I worked uh, for, for, the, for my field work, I worked with a diversity of stakeholders to try and envision a connected system of protected areas, so to say, expanding the protected area network. So I worked with, you know, what, what does this mean for commercial farms, game reserves, national parks and communal areas, and what would this mean for policy reform, land redistribution, natural resource management, uh, as well as customary and traditional norms and regulations. I then flipped the script, so to say, and I applied for a postdoc at the Urban Studies Institute, where you and I work together. And I, uh, I now work on urban systems. Uh, essentially, my work has always been on complex adaptive systems, as well as social ecological governance. I simply moved from the rural to the urban. Super, thank you so much. And I'm going to go clockwise around the screen and on to Tisha. Hi everyone, my name is Tisha Munoz Erickson. I am a research social scientist uh, with the US Forest Service, uh, but specifically the International Institute of Tropical Forestry in San Juan, Puerto Rico. I am originally from San Juan, uh, from Puerto Rico, uh, but I am zooming in from Flagstaff, Arizona. Um, I, my background is in sustainability science and I did actually my PhD at ASU in their School of Sustainability. 
And uh, since then, I've been working on urban sustainability and resilience issues, looking at cities as social ecological systems, but more uh, focused on the governance of that and, and how do we governance for more sustainable uh, and resilient social ecological systems. And in particular, the sort of uh, governance networks and knowledge systems that come into play in planning and envisioning those pathways for sustainability and resilience. So um, I've been looking at co-production both as a, an, an, an analytical framework and as well as a more of an instrumental tool into collaborating between um, researchers and practitioners to produce knowledge. Uh, so I'm sure we're gonna be talking a little bit more about that today, but both in terms of analyzing existing co-production processes uh, in governance to develop sustainability visions, as well as how do we actually uh, design them and plan them to ensure that we're producing knowledge that leads us to those pathways um, in an equitable way. Great, thank you. Moving on to David. Hey, my name is David Awani. I am a professor at the Urban Studies Institute in the um, Andrew Young uh, School of Policy Studies at Georgia State University. I am a sustainability scientist that works with uh, communities to help them articulate what their neighborhood, their city, their region um, should look like in terms of sustainability and resilience and how to get there. Um, an emphasis on how I do this work is basically bringing together um, these diverse forms of knowledges uh, and these different values to kind of come together and articulate what that future might look like and what pathways to that future um, might be possible. And last but not least, Cook. Hi, everyone. I am Elizabeth Cook. I'm an assistant professor in the environmental science department at Barnard College, which is in New York City, which is near where I'm calling in from today. And I consider myself an urban ecologist. Um, I'm trained as an ecosystem ecologist, but I've been working with this really amazing team of interdisciplinary scientists and many others who aren't on the podcast with us today to think about the future of cities and how we can make cities more sustainable and resilient. And as Tisha said, how we can use the co-production process to um, bring in really diverse perspectives and think about how we can develop capacities and ideas about the future. Super, welcome everyone. Uh, it has been so great working with y'all for the past couple of years and now I'm thrilled to have you here on the podcast. So now that we've tossed the term around a little, I wonder if you all could give me your takes on what exactly is a scenario for purposes of these questions of urban sustainability and resilience that we work in. Well, to me, scenario is more of a, a storyline or an alternate way of presenting um, how things could be, but you have different ways of doing those scenarios, right? You could do them quantitatively using a scientific models and um, statistical approaches to, to, to be able to give different uh, 
possible alternatives of outcomes, let's say. So from something very minor um, to something very big, like a future of a city. And we, we talk scenario a lot now because we are in the COVID pandemic. I think it's very relevant as people see, it, you know, it's sometimes uh, there are things we can't predict, but we can get very close proximate to the risks by looking at those, the, 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 the different alternatives that we can see if we were to do decisions in a certain way, like how many people wear masks or how many people get vaccinated and what that could mean or project in terms of how many people get infected or death. But then scenarios that are also useful for things that we don't really can't put a probability assessment on or a number, a risk. And those are also, but but yet we, we still want to plan for the future, even though it can be very uncertain. So um, scenarios can also be a, a mix of qualitative and even humanistic artistic approaches to help us think about those futures when they're so open and uncertain and they could change. Um, and, and so they, they allow that thought process that a quantitative model can do, but, in a, but, but using other tools to explore that uncertainty and to help us uh, deliberate, to help us think through what possibilities are there. And they could be both, you know, negative scenarios, like what would be the worst case scenario of something to happen. And that's also a useful a way to think and help us think to avoid those scenarios, right? But they could also mm -hmm. be positive scenarios, things that we want to strive for, things that can become our north um, as a way of helping us navigate through that uncertainty. Um, and so that's how I would define scenario. Yeah, absolutely. Anyone else? And I just wanted to add, you know, contrary to popular belief, we don't sit around a crystal ball and burn incense or anything. Uh, a, scenario, a scenario has to be- for yourself. I'm kidding. <laughs> a scenario has to be plausible, um, I would add, in, that, in the sense that the future scenario would emerge from some sort of historic uh, condition. We need to remember what brought us to the present day, how we got here. Uh, they also need to be coherent in the sense that they can reflect those causal relationships, I would say, between system variables as well as, you know, so that we can test them for, for consistency. Mm -hmm. But Tisha, you also hit the nail on the head that we're really thinking about positive features in this project, especially. And so we're thinking about where is it that we want to get to. And for us, we think about the long term. So we're thinking about um, scenarios or visions in 2080. So where do we want to what do we want our cities to look like in 2080 and, and how are we gonna to get to that endpoint? So there's some room for thinking about long-term futures and kind of moving outside of what some of the constraints are that we might think we have today. Well, that thanks, uh, you know, that reminds me also, uh, Elizabeth, that while the intent is to develop these positive scenarios of positive futures, um, the implications of those scenarios might not all be positive. Um, and so while we might bring together different uh, communities together to imagine what this future might look like and pathways uh, to this future, um, as we kind of dig into them and explore the nuances of these intended positive future scenarios, some might be positive, um, more positive than others, in a positive in different ways 
um, and kind of negotiating those different values and these different kind of what are possible outcomes and implications and trade-offs associated with these features is also an important part of this work. Yeah, that's a great point. And I'm thinking about some of the different kinds of scenarios that we've generated in our workshops with the different cities. Adaptive scenarios, more transformative scenarios where the city or at least aspects of the city look completely different. Uh, and what is it about the 2080 year? You know, I've mentioned that in my conversations uh, with other scientists, but we, we shoot for that in our workshops. Is there something special about the 2080 goal? Yeah, you know, that's, um, that's a, a really important question, I think, to get at, uh, to understand the types of features that we're trying to kind of explore and realize through these scenarios. And um, 2080 is um, uh, a nice number because it, it, it feels tangible still in some ways. We can imagine, for example, our children um, uh, still alive in 2080. Um, and imagining what that might look like, um, for example. But it also gives us the space to really think about creating radical changes, really, you know, kind of departures from the status quo. So we can get beyond, oh, well, but that's the way things work now, or these things are in the way now. 2080 gives us that kind of space to think about solutions that are a lot more radical and transformative, um, in order to give us the kind of time in order to, to get there. It's this idea that um, one of the big challenges in sustainability and resilience, small tweaks aren't going to be enough. It's kind of iterative change, model through, hasn't been sufficient to address problems like persistent inequity, emerging challenges that are arising, definitely won't be able to address. And so it's this idea of making space for transformation. Um, in 2080, mm -hmm. but not just, but when we think about scenarios, right, you might have an endpoint of 2080, but where it's also, it's not just about this future of in 2080, it's about making better decisions today, right? It's about what are the different types of actions and strategies that we need to be pursuing today in order to on-ramp onto this new trajectory, to avoid the kind of, to avoid the status quo, trajectory that we're on now. And what might that future look like? So kind of aligning our actions and goals towards some um, bigger picture, more aspirational transformation change. Yeah, I think that became very obvious to me when we were doing the scenarios in San Juan. Mm -hmm. We did our first workshop there in 2000, early 2017, and we co-produce some scenarios around adapting to flooding, coastal and, and urban flooding, uh, and also transformative scenarios of what we would like to uh, be a sustainable, equitable San Juan, a just San Juan. And uh, those were, a, you know, the, the, the very transformative scenarios and looking at uh, various uh, social, ecological and technological things we wanted to see that a, or, or, or valleys that we wanted to maintain, right? Um, and then a Hurricane Maria came that same year at the end uh, in September. And uh, right after that, 
it, not only did the hurricane reveal a lot of a lot of the the same uh, vulnerabilities that we knew, but new ones, and this and and it revealed is failures that we thought you know in, in terms of the city, but also the the social governance infrastructure and uh, things that it, it didn't work so well that we thought, wow, this this is probably going to change those scenarios a lot. So we we need to we better go back to our partners and stakeholders that we met and co-produced these with to see how this has shifted. And so while there are some short-term things that, uh, yes, they, they would shift in terms of what actions or strategies you would consider uh, now in the next uh, 10, 15 years because of what we learned from that very you know, high magnitude and uh, event, the overall though vision and the overall values that people are are wanting to maintain and see for the future of that that they want future generations to see that they want things change and dismantled and that that stayed the same that that overall uh, was able to you know that doesn't necessarily change so much because they're underlying and systemic things that that uh, people really desire and want to work towards. But the, having that impact though, really did help in fine tuning and tweaking the things that maybe we do need to rethink about how we actually get there. So the pathways and, and the actual actions we take on the ground. But the fact that we still need to have a more, that we want a more integrated way of managing our water and flooding and, and that realizing that San Juan is a water city and we can't control that. That idea and that vision for San Juan in 2020 still remains. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I think that was to me a realization that the, it's useful because it gets us out of the conventional planning process that still happens in five, 10 years. People are still planning after Maria for recovery in that time frame, And it's super important too that we have a, what are you know specific strategies, short-term strategies to make sure that we don't, a, when there is a disaster, it's not that big as it was when it was Hurricane Maria, but there still needs to be this, uh, this 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 road that we're charting as well to make sure that we are also trying to make the changes needed for for um, not not going back to where we were before Maria because we don't want to go there. So it sounds like the scenario production process is itself adaptive, responsive to real world events, you know, as they're happening, even as we plan these different workshops, as we uh, maybe uh, process data or make, make plans for future work based on the work that we've already done in the city. That's great. Now, one thing I wanted to address is this concept of co-production. It's come up a couple of times in the conversation so far. When we're talking about co-production of knowledge, for folks for whom that may not be immediately obvious, what is co-production involved and why is it particularly important in this process? Okay, I will give it a shot, but everyone else, please jump in here too. So um, it is a really important question and I think one of the key things about co-production is co-production of what? And so 
Um, in our case, we're thinking about co-producing new visions, co-producing innovative ideas and strategies and solutions for the future to achieve those visions. And we're co-producing new knowledge where we're really bringing together and the idea of bringing together different perspectives and different people who come from different sectors within the community or um, city or different um, communities within the city themselves to talk to each other and think about what are some of the shared ways that they understand the city to work, but what are some of the differences? And then once we think through those, how can we start to use them to think about um, new strategies or new solutions? So that's kind of the co-production of what, and also the co-production by whom, who we're bringing together to help us co-produce these new ideas. Yeah, I think that um, that's a great way of explaining it um, because I, I do think that the, Co-production actually as a concept has a, a longer history in the social sciences and it gets used a lot, uh, but it, it does have a, 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 a it, it gets used a lot to encompass a lot of different ways that scientists relate with uh, non-scientists, practitioners, researchers. And so it's similar to what uh, other types of approaches like participatory action research or or joint knowledge production. And it, it, it is a pretty much the same as those uh, in terms of, 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 again, the instrumental value of using co-production that it, to use it as a process for collaborating and generating knowledge. But sometimes those things, those specific elements like Elizabeth is saying, may, do not get defined, right? Like the, uh, the process is also so dependent on what is that you're co-producing together. And the fact that co-production is always happening. It's not like it's something that you with a start and a finish and an on and off. And this mm -hmm. is where the, this is where the analytical uh, definition of co-production comes in from social sciences is that um, it's more of a framework of understanding how co-production already happens, how society and science are constantly shaping each other. And by that, I mean that, uh, you know, the way that we're, our society is, is, is ordered, our institutions is very much uh, driven in part by how we know the world and, and by how we structure our knowledge and by our institutions and, and so on. And also our scientific institutions, our knowledge institutions are also a result of how we, we see the world and how what knowledge should be. And so there's this kind of more philosophical relationship of science and in its role in society. And, and so it, we're, there's always this constant relationship between how we develop the world, uh, the knowledge about the world and how we would like it to be. So it's not the separation or what people think, you know, science should be separate from society. And so the, the, the having that differentiation or definition of how we're using co-production, I think is very important. And so in our case, uh, defining the fact that we are co-producing together, not just a strategies, um, we're co-producing anticipatory knowledge, but we're also co-producing features. And that means that we are, we are co-producing ways of, of seeing what the future could be. And those need to also be defined by a lot of different people and not just scientists, right? And so going into the by whom, making sure that people that don't always get a say into what our future societies are gonna be, 
our future cities have a say in that. So co-production can be much an equity, um, a way of, of being more inclusive. That's great, thank you. So about the inclusivity, and this is where I really want to take us into some of the nuts and bolts of scenario production, how they actually get produced. And who is producing them? Who are our partners in this co-production process? So maybe folks, if you could walk us through the process of planning for and working within a workshop in which we generate some scenarios. First of all, how do we select the people that are gonna be invited to these workshops? I can reassure our listeners that we don't just uh, go out and pull people in off the street as fun and interesting and revealing as that might be. Um, but it is a somewhat targeted process, isn't it? I'm not going to speak necessarily towards the who is involved, but maybe just to take a step back from that in terms of how we produce these, in terms of all the work that goes into, you know, the, the actual scenarios and how we get there. So from my side, I wanted to add that uh, there's a lot of pre-work that happens, right? It all starts with that relationship between um the, the research group and their city practitioners and that, you know, a lot of dialogue virtually in person beforehand, months, sometimes years before the time, right? Before you even get to the, to the who. Mm. So I just wanted to emphasize the point that there's a lot of homework that goes into, you know, what's happening, like the city context, uh, what are the current vulnerabilities, uh, what are the current uh, planning documents in terms of how the city is envisioning their, their, their own future uh, before we even get to the who is involved. I'm thinking about a, a couple key important steps and instruments um, in um, thinking about who um, are, is involved in uh, producing these scenarios. And um, one of the early uh, important steps, I believe, is the, a survey that we do. Uh, it's a survey that looks at um, how people are framing climate resilience in their cities, uh, what type of knowledge that they use, who do they work with. Um, it is a very extensive survey to kind of map out the kind of climate resilience landscape of actors um, in our different cities. And from that work, that's a really important initial step to kind of understand the diversity of ways that climate resilience is being framed, the different types of actors um, working in different sectors uh, so that we can make sure that um, it's, uh, we're kind of representing the different types of uh, fields in the space, the different kind of scales of institutions, making sure that we're looking at both kind of neighborhood scales, people that work at the city, at the state or regional scales, for example, um, how they need to be included in this. So that initial survey instrument, um, looking at climate resilience governance in our cities is really important first step to kind of help us identify uh, representatives of actors, not, you know, not just the type of actors that they are and their role in climate resilience, but more importantly also sometimes is the role they play in the network. Which other actors do they connect um, to and what, what role do they play um, in that network? I believe that's a, an important aspect to how we're kind of, at least that first step, to thinking about, well, um, who do we, um, who do we ask? That survey I mentioned before, it says, um, well, 
you know, where do you get knowledge from? Who do you work with? What we do then is to kind of make sure that we're representing what that kind of climate resilience network looks like. We then contact uh, people um, that have been identified um, through that if they weren't originally on the survey. And so in that respect, we're snowballing is the term that we use by identifying additional people in the network that people were saying that these are the people I'm working with in climate resilience. And so we are able to get a, a broader perspective of what are the different ways um, climate resilience work is being done and articulated in our city. That's terrific. Thank you, David. So even going in, we have given some shape to the discussion, to the process of generating the scenarios. Uh, because it's not completely random in, as far as the participants go, but also the subjects that we're going to discuss, the ideas, the potential experiences that we're going to build the scenario around have already started to come out of the minds of the people on the ground, the citizens, the residents, the people working in city government and uh, other organizations. Uh, and uh, you made reference to climate scenarios, but we have talked about some other factors too in these workshops, in the scenario production. Uh, of course, climate is a very trenchant subject for all of us doing this kind of work. And it's the kind of stressor, at least variations of the climate, that everyone in the city may be subjected to. It can be very hard to, to get away from that because the, the climate is all around us. We are all to varying degrees subject to it. So what are some of the other factors that have come up in the workshops that y'all have been involved in. What are some other things that people talk about that might need to change or that they want to change going into the future? Uh, when you mean uh, factors in terms of, of, of things that could be um, both uh, a negative disruption, you mean, uh, as a, uh, like climate change, for instance, but sure. also maybe positive? Yeah. It, you know, I think from a positive disruption perspective, like things that have become to me very interesting throughout the scenario work that people have uh, really come come around to in their scenarios that it's quite common is, is the changes in, in governance that they feel like are necessary to see in order to mm -hmm. make conditions happen. And many of them with much uh, models of governance that include are much more bottom up and uh, community level um, empowerment. And so even when we're doing scenarios at the city level or regional level, shifting the governance models that we have now to some that are more not, not either or, but more of a, a hybrid recognizing the need that we need institutions that can help you know, really coordinate and move things forward um, in terms of, of the urgency of climate change, but also to do it in a way that it's drawing from the people that are, you know, affected by it, They're by, by uh, a, again, including the, the knowledge and lived experiences they have from where they live. And so that the solutions around and the governing around trying to build the futures of the city that are more resilient and sustainable is not just this a top-down definition or or way of of governing so i think that um seeing that a lot that governance model as part of the factor and changes that need to happen it has been a 
to me, a, a revealing element of, of these scenarios and what they bring about when, when you have a lot of people, different people together, including governmental, you know, public servants and um, as well as uh, different civic actors and, and, and academics um, and how that's a consistent theme. Another really important topic that comes up in many of our scenarios, in addition to the environmental factors and climate change and governance, as Tisha just said, are issues around equity and justice. And even if the scenario itself isn't fully focused on that, it's certainly an important theme that comes up almost in all of our scenarios and thinking about everything from equitable access to food, um, whether that means increasing urban agriculture or, or access to health healthy and fresh food in city in cities and neighborhoods or access to green space, but also more equitable jobs uh, or more equitable economic opportunities within communities, I think is probably a common feature of many of the scenarios. And so all of those types of equity that aren't necessarily all environmental focused or um, governance focused come up as well. Would you say that anything is off limits as far as the scenarios that we create in the workshops? Has anyone come up with an idea that was that was too wild, too crazy for the group, um, that we that we knew could not be implemented under under any circumstances? Or even if they did, can we take it and find a way to work with it? That's a good question. I don't remember. Yeah, you know, what I'm thinking about actually first though is um, the amount of work that um, gets put in to helping participants think transformative um, is probably much more the bigger challenge to address. And so when a group of uh, practitioners and researchers are coming together to kind of think about what are these scenario themes that we're going to be working on? Um, what are the uh, activities and approaches that we're going to use to do that? Um, it's a conversation that we have quite often is this idea, well, how can we kind of ensure that we're not just kind of thinking about like what is a little bit better than now? Um, and really focusing, centering on um, what is that equitable, resilient, sustainable future that you deserve that you're, you know, for your city in your city? Um, that's probably the bigger challenge. Um, what's off the table? Um, you know, uh, I think coherence is important. Um, and so when they're thinking about what are the different goals and strategies that make up uh, their scenario, uh, sometimes you we, we have seen some kind of wild and crazy ideas uh, get thrown in, and then they have to ask themselves, you know, is this really part of the scenario? Is it kind of coherent to the narrative, to the you know, uh, to the goals that we're trying to talk about? In that case, not because it's such an implausible idea um, that it can't be done. Sometimes there are strategies that don't get included because they kind of seem like um, not connected um, to uh, the direction the scenario is going, what doesn't get included. There's a lot of negotiation and conflict that happens you know, at these tables. 
um, people are figuring out, you know, what's the best way to uh, articulate what the goals of the future should look like? What should be very specific? You know, I do remember at one workshop, someone had an idea in which uh, a, a person, a hypothetical person, a character within this scenario, was able to call for a ride or send a message telepathically. Uh, and, you know, as scientists, we might say, oh, telepathically, that, that won't ever happen. But, but just the other day, I was reading news about uh, some scientists in Nigeria who have developed essentially a bionic arm, a prosthetic arm, controlled by impulses from the user's brain. Uh, and if we have that now in 2021, in another 60 years, well, who knows how far brain scanning and the translation of those brain scans into usable data, who knows how far that's going to go within the next 60 years. Yeah, that's right, Robert, and you, you bring something that I don't think we've touched on yet, but that's key to remind um, our listeners is that we use a lot of different methods in the scenario approach, right? So we. Mm -hmm we bring in uh, a lot of the science and evidence that we do have of where we can expect the climate to be in 2080, as well as some of the you know, vulnerability analyses and, and other types of, of, of evidence about the city and um, uh, both you know, from uh, the built infrastructure and the, the social and demographics and so on. So we bring all that together, but but then in, in the workshops, we actually use a lot of different methods from actually, you know, doing participatory mapping so that people can actually be specific about where um, and when and timelines they can, they see the, the strategies um, necessary for addressing or for meeting, for addressing a challenge or for meeting their goals. But then we use these um, more uh, qualitative and even artistic or humanistic approaches that you mentioned, this, these stories that we ask uh, participants once they've built the scenario together to actually tell us about the scenario in a story form. What, what would in 2080, this city based on this scenario would look like? And in order to experience that, you know, think about a character in 2080s in 2080 that uh, how would that person, what would they be seeing or feeling or smelling or any way that you can then express that. And so I think that, and, and that's the, the best vehicle we have right now to address the challenge that they were saying that it is very hard to get to that, to thinking that radically different. And in a way, you know, that's what science fiction is so good too, as a tool for scenario. Uh, making because, like you say, a lot of those uh, technological, radical technological futures, some people have thought about them already as a, as a story, right? And so, so yeah, I mean, it's very difficult to get um, people thinking outside their box and outside of what they normally do. And so, you have to, you have to put a lot of, you have to bring a lot of different tools thinking tools, analytical tools to help them get there. And that, that's one of them, the narratives. Yeah. You know, I feel like in the different activities we do in the workshops, it's relatively 
easy. It's maybe even embedded in the process for people to put checks on each other, uh, to focus the scenario building in on some kind of reality. For instance, we'll have uh, people in an activity say to each other, and you know, some of these people already know each other, work together. They may say, well, that change you're suggesting is not possible under city government the way it is constituted. So sometimes we even have to push them uh, to make a little bit, bit of a leap to say, oh, well, we're gonna transform city government too. There's no reason we have to be subject to the strictures of the legal or the economic situation that we're in now, for instance. And I think David also mentioned a little bit earlier that um, often we see tension at, when we're developing these scenarios between different people and their perspectives. And I think that's an important part also of allowing that tension to happen because it really does mean that we're pushing each other, as you're saying, Robert, to think about new things or think outside of our traditional boxes or frameworks that we think in and think about what what's possible or what we want to see in the future. Mm -hmm. Having said all that, of course, we have seen some really amazing, really creative, and were they to be implemented, truly transformative ideas come out of some of these workshops. I wonder if any of you have an example that you can think of from a workshop that you've been involved in, a scenario or a portion of a scenario that you thought, boy, if we could just get that done, that, that would be one of the most amazing changes imaginable. Could be an infrastructural change, could be a social change. For instance, I remember at our workshop in Syracuse in central western New York, out of one of the, one of the groups that I was working with, this idea came about that by 2080, we might have co-governance between the state government, as you know, we currently think of a state government in the US, and the Haudenosaunee, the native people, also sometimes known as the Iroquois, though I believe that term has fallen out of favor in recent years, but that there would be co-governance, that it wouldn't just be, you know, a reservation where the Haudenosaunee, uh, the Seneca, or some of the other groups have governance on, over their own affairs, but they would be involved in the governance of the state and not only in a representational manner that uh, power would be equally shared between the Haudenosaunee and people in the government structure who are outside of that group. I thought that was amazing. I have no idea how it would get it done. I don't know if the people who suggested it had any idea of how it would get done. Um, but the process of realizing a scenario like that is one that Again, going back to that co-production idea, all the people would have to go through together in a process that's as equitable as possible. Another example might be that um, in some of our coastal cities, we often see uh, uh, coastal retreat as one of the main features. And I think, especially when we started the project, it's becoming a more common thing to be discussed in popular media and the news and by governments now. But when we started the project, it was a really kind of touchy subject and it still is important to talk about in careful ways now. But it, um, it was an opportunity, I think, for city officials and communities to think about how would we actually be able to move away from the coast while still you know, preserving our cultural heritage in this place where we have lived or where our um, ancestors have lived for a long time, as well as 
um, maintain our own communities in our current state. So I think it allowed a lot of innovative thinking about how to get there and what some of the consequences of it might be. Yeah, so I'm the same one I was thinking about, the coastal retreat. It, it still seems like very transform. It still seems very hard. Um, and so it, it's one I think that's just going to be challenging for it's a complicated a while, one. But it's good that we were that it was coming up um, even even when it wasn't so present in the media. Absolutely. So we're getting a little short on time. I wanted to be sure that we touch on Chair something Chair, that. Oh, go Chair, ahead, David. Yeah, I just want to mention, you know, uh, just in case you wanted to use um, this, some of the ideas of some of the other kind of really transformative elements and that I think we saw in, uh, in these scenarios. And really there are too many exciting things to list. Um, and so it's kind of difficult to even know where to start and which ones to even mention for each city, because, you know, each city, there were multiple scenarios created in each city. Um, and uh, just uh, hundreds of strategies in each scenario um, were created. And whether it's things like um, not just imagining the structure of governance, but reimagining what is the role of governance in, mm -hmm. in Portland was just um, mind-blowingly um, exciting. Um, in Phoenix, um, articulating um, carefully what um, uh, the uh, role of new zoning and um, planning or that's community-based um, equity districts and a circular economy um, underlying this, um, what that looks like. Um, in Valdivia, Chile, this idea of trying to imagine what does a wetland city uh, look like that is not treating the wetland as something um, external to the city, but really kind of identifying it as um, part of, you know, its identity, using the wetland as its identity um, of the city. You know, there's so many different um, kind of uh, imagined futures. Um, you know, and these coastal retreat, you know, scenarios are, are are quite transformative, but you know that's just the that's just the the kind of the superficial. Um, um, that's that's not the right word I'm looking for. Um, coastal these coastal retreat scenarios um, are quite transformative in and of itself. That they're trying to imagine what coastal retreat looks like in their city, but the kind of implications uh, of how do we get there and what does that look like. That's where the kind of really radical changes come from. Um, so what do we do with um, people that are moving? Um, and uh, how can we use this kind of, for example, to, re to revitalize um, urban cores um, that have been um, abandoned in the past? Or how can we use coastal retreat to reset um, equity uh, issues in terms of access? Um, and so there's a lot of uh, interesting kind of questions that um, feed off each other. And then just to add to what David was saying, the exciting part for me would be that although we can't delve into all of these exciting strategies that are put forth, we at least have started a conversation. We've opened up a space where people are talking about these. And then there's that hope that it would get taken further. Yeah, Lalani, you're so right. I think the key thing is that we've made a space for people who don't typically get to talk to each other to 
to be in the room and have these conversations and think innovatively together. Terrific. Thank you, everyone. So we are at about that time where we have to wrap up. I'm going to give everyone, we're going to go around the Zoom screen one more time and give everyone a chance to tell the listeners where they can find you on your website, on your socials. Uh, we'll start with Lilani. I'm guessing the best place to find me would be through the Open Studies Institute uh, website. I've got my profile up there and some links to some of the other stuff we're doing. Sure, terrific. Thank you. Tisha. Uh, yeah, I think same here with the website of the International Institute of Tropical Forestry, the Forest Service. Um, and I'm also on Twitter, um, but those are my own views, <laughs> not on the agency. Um, so uh, at T. Munoz Erickson. Thank you. David? Yeah, um, I think the easiest way to get a hold of me is uh, probably on email. Um, you can find my email address at the Urban Studies Institute website on the Georgia, at Georgia State University. Um, also on Twitter, um, if you are uh, looking for more informal chat. Great, and Cook. All right, thank you, Robert. Uh, you can find me on the Barnard College Environmental Science Department website and also on Twitter. And I'm happy to talk with all of you. Super, and all of those web addresses I will put in the text accompanying the episode itself. Oh, this has been a great conversation and we have only begun to touch on the wealth of information that comes out of these workshops and the scenarios production process. But we'll be presenting a follow-up episode in which we will talk to other Urex SRN researchers about how scenarios are analyzed and used. We'll also learn about the new publication, Resilient Urban Futures, edited by many of the folks we've been talking to on this subject. So until next time, this is Robert Lloyd for the Future Cities Podcast. Future Cities Podcast is an outreach effort brought to you by the Urban Resilience to Extremes Sustainability Research Network, or UREX as we usually refer to it. To learn more about UREX, visit www.sustainability.asu.edu forward slash urban resilience. If you have any questions, feedback, or suggestions for future episodes, you can email us at futurecitiespodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at futurecitiespod. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.